It's October 22nd, 2020. This is Rook. If you want to be proud of humans of Iranian descent around the world, get ready to discover two millennials currently in Europe who are very different from each other but unified in impressiveness. First to France, where Zartusht Bakhtiari has become the first mayor of Iranian descent in a city in that country and one of the youngest ever at age 30. He joins me and then to Denmark, where the well-known Iranian teacher, model and biker Shima Mehri has become the first woman in the world to be head road captain for Harley Davidson. There's no containing Shima. This is conversations from to and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there. Welcome to episode number 55 of Rook. Hope you are all doing well out there. Surviving. We are coming to you on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on Spotify, on Instagram, iTunes, and Telegram. And by the way, our Telegram channel is completely bilingual in Persian and English. So if you prefer to consume your messages and posts in Farsi, the Persian and English are happening on our Telegram channel, which is at Rook Media. We are on our ongoing mission to build a, a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. And, you know, those of us in North America sometimes tend to reflexively think of the Persian diaspora as only being people of Iranian descent, you know, in North America, like a, a typically myopic way of thinking. But it goes along the lines of, oh, yeah, the Iranians outside of Iran are in uh, Los Angeles, uh, Tehran, you know, or uh, Toronto, Toronto, or Washington, Washington, etc. Of course, that is not true. And in fact, as I've mentioned on this program a few times, as uh, we grow this show, we are growing large audiences for this program in places like Germany uh, and Australia and the UK and Sweden. So today, uh, it's an all-European edition of Rook. Uh, looking really looking forward to these two guests. First, Zartusht Bakhtiari. He is the 30-year-old the mayor of a French city, not far from Paris. He's one of the youngest mayors in the history of France, and he is an Iranian-French kid who's, uh, you know, he's doing impressive things. He joins me from Nuit-sur-Marne in just a few minutes. We'll go to Zartusht. And then, in about an hour from now, Shima Mehri in Denmark, an Iranian biker. And in 2016, she became the first woman in the world to be a head road captain for Harley-Davidson. Uh, Shima's got a great story. We will go to her uh, so that's all coming up. Hello, Groovy Shia. Hi, Jianjun. Hello, the fabulous Keon. Hi, Jianjun. 
Hello. John or June? I don't know which one to go with sometimes. Depends on how you're feeling uh, about me, I suppose. I, today. I'm feeling the June, oh, June today. Jean thank June. you, Keon June. <laughs> uh, and hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hello, Sam. Uh, Captain Reza, uh, how, are, how have you been? I'm pretty great, in fact. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, why are you so great? <laughs> I went to uh, the exhibition yesterday. You Van did? Gogh you, ex- I took you, your advice. You, oh, you went, went to the Van Gogh Immersive. That's correct. And you also took my advice that uh, <laughs> should you go... To this spectacular, uh, uh, this spectacular immersive right. display of interactive yeah. art and social distancing at yeah. the same time, that it may be enhanced. Yes. If yes. Yeah. If if uh, a very legal spleef has been is consumed. You're using the French. The That's spleef. right. Yeah, spleef. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Did you consume? Well, any? I can't confirm or deny because I've signed an NDA. I was with a very uh, special person. Uh. So, so you see. He smoked some weed. Yes, that's, that's right. It is, yeah. And you've been uh, you've been a little concerned lately about um, uh, like I don't I, huh. you know you're a very handsome man. <laughs> we call you Captain Reza Hoshtip, you know, off the air. But uh, but you've been concerned about some weight gain. Yeah, I yeah. have a little bit. I yeah. got some comments from uh, some of our coworkers <laughs> who've said. Uh, you must have gained a little bit of weight. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy during the quarantine period. No. You know, we're all... So my question to you is, what ran through uh-huh. my head is, uh-huh. see, I think that the problem with the weed, yeah. if there's a problem with it, it's that uh, certainly in my, you know, if I've ever, I, I would, I get the munch, I got to eat. I got to eat more and more and more. So did you not... So, so I'm guessing mm-hmm. that it the the having the spectacular enhanced experience of the Van Gogh yeah. was worth it to you, yeah. even if it meant yeah. eating the extra bag of chips you ate when you got home because I, I you ate, were stoned. I ate like a horse yesterday, yeah, yeah. but it was worth it. It was worth every okay. second. All right, and yeah, that's that's yeah. fine. No, it is. It yeah, is. I must have gained. You're probably huge. Temp- <laughs> you're, you're you barely. <laughs> No. Oh, yeah. I think you look just great. Aww, Don't listen to the haters. Thank you. Uh, there's you no hate. There's no hate. I, in fact, it's it's all in Reza's mind. He does look great, but he's been. I know he's because he's been concerned about that. He keeps bringing it up and Aww. saying, about <laughs> "Do I look fat in this? Is that what he's doing?" <laughs> he's kind of doing that. Uh, the fabulous Keon. I know we got a lot of. Um, Nice response to the Reza Rohani episode, we did, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Reza Rohani, the uh, performer, the pianist, the the musician who dabbles in both jazz mm-hmm. and classical, uh, we had him on our last episode. I want to tell you about a new posting that we have in our Rook Reads section of our website. So, so we've started this. Uh, it's basically a blog. Mm-hmm. We call Rook Reads, and so you go to our website and you hit the reads. Negin Dusti Alavi has written a new piece for us called uh, Reza Rohani and the Flight of Talent. And uh, it's now posted at, at rookmedia.com at our Rook Reads section. And I thought this was really interesting. I want you to check it out because, um, um, you know, my takeaway from that interview, as I said after the interview, was that, uh, I, I mean, they, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed speaking to Reza. But the most interesting part for me was the dynamic with his father. Mm. Of course, he is the son of a very, very famous, you might even say legendary uh, composer and piano player and musician, Anushiravon Rohani, uh, who's still in Iran. And the f- we discussed 
discuss the fact that Reza um, not only doesn't seem to mind being in the shadow of his very famous father, but he celebrates it and loves his dad and half of his Instagram is pictures of his, his dad and etc. That was my big takeaway from that interview. Negin's takeaway, as she explains in this piece, uh, was very interesting. For her, the most salient point was sadness. Really? Yes, that this guy, I mean, certainly not emanating from Reza. As you remember, Reza Rohani was very positive mm-hmm. and had a great yeah. sort of uh, positive disposition. But but in this piece, Nagin argues that she finds it sad that this guy ultimately had to leave Iran twice. The first time he leaves to go do school for in Germany. But the second time he leaves, uh, and now he's been in the US for tw- 20 years, was because the kind of music that is his passion, which is jazz and you know alternative jazz or different mm-hmm. kinds of jazz, uh, is just not something he could really pursue in Iran. His wow. music was getting banned. There really isn't much of an industry there and all yeah. that. And so her takeaway is, and I think the question she poses in this piece is, uh, is this always the way it has to be? You know, it, that that what is the price to be paid of being an interesting uh, creative person? Is it always exodus? Do you always have to leave the homeland? Of course, she's writing this as somebody who as well is in the diaspora. But I thought that that was interesting that that was her her takeaway. I didn't think of it that way, but I see what she means now because there's only so much you can grow as an artist in Iran, sadly. Uh, Depending on the kind of music you're playing, I guess, but certainly if you're playing jazz. Would that make sense to you, Shaya? Uh, Yes, actually, uh, that's a very good point. If you play jazz, you actually, you have kind of no future in Iran. It's like you have a traditional Persian music band in, for example, um, Austin, you know, mm. there's no fee, you yeah, know. Yeah. But I, I, I think maybe the reason it didn't occur to us p- potentially is because <laughs> you could almost make that argument. You write this piece every week and sort of go, it's sad that these people had to leave. It's sad that the person had to leave it. Yeah. But, um, but I thought it was interesting that she, she, she took away because on the face of it, this interview is a about a guy who's very you know happy with his life, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he's certainly got a very. Um, I liked that he owned his own privilege. He knows he's a lucky yeah. guy. He knows that he comes from a famous dad. He knows that he's had some good breaks. He's also super talented. Has worked hard. I don't want to take anything away from that. And obviously has a huge fan base. We heard from them. We've been getting yeah. lovely letters letters about him. And everything, but uh, but that she listening to Reza Rohani felt this sadness that this guy, you know, he couldn't do this in Iran. Even when your dad is the famous the guy, and 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 you know, you, you want to play your music, it's it, you're going to have to do that. Behind the scenes, you're going to be banned. You're not really going to have a career. You know, I mean, uh, and so anyway, that's at rookmedia.com. Go to our Rook Reads, and we've got a comment section there. So if you want to respond, she ends her piece saying, uh, do you agree with me? What do you think? Uh, mm. You can you can go there and and, uh, and respond to this or give your thoughts. Yes, Shai? I remember I bought Reza Rohani's tickets in Tehran to go to his show and one day before his show his concert got cancelled and hmm. you know because 
Airshot because yeah, sometimes they just cancel concerts. Yes, yes, yeah. because because, it's because yeah, you're the, probably you're the son of Anushiravan Rohani. I don't know why, but you know uh. it's it's yeah. If you go to our website rookmedia.com, you'll also see our patrons page, a way to support Rook. Uh, head over to where it says support Rook, and you'll see links. To, uh, we'd love you to support us, by the way, if you want in any amount possible. And if and you will also see links to our different social media platforms there, including our Instagram. Uh, and if you don't already follow us on Instagram and you want to, it's at Rook Media, where you can find our Rook Minutes produced by Savvy Roham. Or uh, sometimes also known as Savvy Sibyl Rohan. <laughs> half man, half, half mustache, Sibyl. half Sibyl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we've got uh, a bunch of letters to get to. Yes, Kian? Yes. Uh, we'll get to those in just a little while. And we've got Shima Mehri in Denmark in about, I don't know, 45 minutes from now. But first, there are myriad interesting stories when it comes to different folks and their journeys across the globe in the Iranian diaspora. And often when we are talking about young guests of Iranian descent, it has been because they're actors or musicians or sports stars. Today, now, a guy who is the first Iranian-French mayor of a city in France. He was elected just a few months ago, and he's 30 years old, making him one of the youngest mayors in France in general ever. Zartusht Bakhtiari was born in France to Iranian parents from Gilan who had immigrated during the Islamic Revolution of 1979. He grew up in Nuit-sur-Marne, a town in the vicinity of Paris with a population of 40,000. When he was in high school during the presidential campaign period of Nicolas Sarkozy, Zartosh decided to become a lawyer and study political science. He holds a master's degree now in labor law from the University of Paris, too, and entered the field of urban activities in 2010 in the city of Neville-sur-Mont. Forming a citizens association, Zartosh's efforts became a major contributor to the lives and the people of that city since 2010. And in the past six years, he's not stopped being active. In fact, Zartosh became the head of the first opposition group within the city council. In 2019, five years after the election of the city's former mayor, Zartosh started his campaign for the mayor. The first round of elections were held just before the COVID-19 confinement on the 15th of March of this year. And finally, on the 28th of June, at the age of 30, Zatosh won the election in a landslide, defeating the mayor by winning the maximum number of votes. And right now, the mayor of Nuit-sur-Marne, Zatosh Bakhtiari, joins me from his town in France today. Hello, sir. Bonjour. Hello. Bonjour. Thank you very much for your invitation. Uh, what a pleasure it is to talk to you. Congratulations on your victory. It's, it's been three or four months. What's it like being the mayor of your French town? Actually, it's a very, it's a very, very important uh, function in, in France. Uh, as a mayor, I have a lot of responsibility, and and now, uh, spe specifically now, uh, because of the COVID, and uh, uh, I, I spent uh, uh, fifteen or sixteen hours per day here in in my city hall, uh, <laughs> uh, doing all the best I can do, uh, managing the people of my team, and uh, actually, it's. Uh, it's a very beautiful function because you are very uh, close to people and you 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 feel their uh, their their needs their uh, ambition their dreams and i think that it's a very uh, uh, very uh, beautiful gift 
uh, that uh, the people <laughs> gave me uh, with with uh, with this election. You know, Zatarsh, it's interesting because during this COVID period, I think we've really seen a, an ascendance, at least in the profile, if not the responsibilities of mayors all around the world, because COVID can be so important in a local localized way in terms of how you're going to deal with it. We know the names of the mayor of New York City or the mayor of London or the mayor of Toronto um, if we didn't know them before because they're so integral to, to dealing with this crisis. I want to get to that with you, but first, set, set the scene for us. I mean, we know what, where and what Paris is. How would you describe Nuit-sur-Mer? Actually, Nuit-sur-Mer uh, is a town of uh, 40,000 uh, people located very close to Paris, and we have a, a, a very good location because uh, we are uh, very close to Paris, but we have a certain distance and uh, we have uh, very uh, important parks and and we have the uh, the the Marne river in in the city so uh, actually we are uh, very close to paris but we have a certain distance uh, which gives us uh, a certain liberty uh, on the organization of uh, what we want to do uh, for example we we can we can organize different uh, events for people and we have more uh, green spaces um, people um, uh, feel better here more than in certain uh, uh, areas of paris so you have autonomy you're not just yes. a suburb exactly exactly what was the first thing you did when you took office in june or july <laughs> Actually, I have uh, spent a lot of time um, in discussion with, with the people who work here uh, because we have uh, more near uh, 1,000 people who work for the, for the city. So uh, I, I spent a lot of time uh, by, by their side and uh, we had to uh, set a lot of meetings uh, in order to, uh, to handle this, uh, this COVID uh, period. And it was a, a bit hard because uh, during the, uh, the, the last uh, months, uh, people were uh, in their house uh, and we had to uh, organize different events for people yes. uh, during the summer but we had to uh, guarantee their their security too so it was a very strange period but uh, very exciting for me because i'm uh, a, a young man with a lot of energy so uh, it was very very good for me uh, and it wasn't very stressful for me but um it was a very strange period. Well, it's a bit of a roller coaster. It's some, somewhat tumultuous, but I, I'm glad that you have so much energy. It's energizing talking to you. I have to say, <laughs> you're the you. mayor of a French town. You've got a charming French accent, but I have to keep reminding myself, you're a Persian <laughs> kid, like me too. You're a Persian kid. So it cannot have escaped the eyes and ears of those in Iran that a young Iranian guy has become a mayor in France. What reaction did you get from Iran? A lot of very positive messages, and and uh, you know I have a, a a part of my family who live who still uh, lives in in Iran in the north of Iran uh, and in Tehran. They, they gave me a lot of uh, very good vibes and and very good uh, uh, energy by uh, by Instagram, by Facebook, by uh, by mail and different messages that I've received. Uh, people say me that they they are uh, they are interrogating themselves and, and they say uh, what if in Iran uh, we, we, we made something like that it, w was it possible uh, in Iran uh, to elect a, a young guy uh, who has only 30 years old and and who has uh, um, a foreign backgrounds and it was it was a bit disturbing but but 
I think that they 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 hope uh, a lot of things, and and uh, I think that it was a very good message. But even in France, actually, uh, I think that I'm I, I can say that I'm very proud of this French uh, people uh, who 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 gave me my my chance uh, with a very uh, strange name <laughs> for French people, um, <laughs> and and uh, you know, it's. Uh, a very a very good message that they uh, uh, send to the to the France yes, uh, to yes. France and to people. Yeah, I think it was well, very good. Was there any reaction from the government in Iran or the regime or or the Islamic Republic no, me- no, no. media? No, no, not at all. Ah, interesting. So, okay, let me. I, I want to come back to your identity and who you are and how and how you got elected. But, but we started talking about COVID. I mean, France has been hit hard by the second wave of COVID nineteen, Zatosh. And the start of your career as mayor coincided with this crisis. Uh, how has that complicated your job? And I can only imagine this is not the situation you had in mind when you dreamt, dreamt of being mayor for the last few years. So, as a decision maker, what have been the challenges and concerns that you've had? to overcome to implement ideas and and deal with the spread of covid-19 in Nuisil man actually uh, being able to to manage this this crisis uh, at uh, the local level and 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 be a very uh, um, in a position of uh, proximity with with people and and uh, be able to to gather people and, and make different things in order to save other people who have uh, nobody to help them uh, it, it, it's a very, um, a very interesting uh, thing to do. Uh, it's very hard because we cannot do everything we 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 we, sh- we want to do. Uh, for example, we we have uh, uh, a lot of uh, actions um, in distinction of 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 uh, senior people uh, who cannot, uh, uh, for example, uh, buy uh, different things, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, some food, for example, in, in different stores. Uh, there, we have a lot of people who cannot uh, afford uh, different things because they have uh, uh, no job or they cannot uh, uh, go to Paris because of uh, uh, you know different limitations. Uh, so uh, actually, we we have to uh, we have to to be very involved and 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 uh, uh, you know the, the plans that you can have today may change totally uh, tomorrow. Yes. So we have to 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 have a a very um, uh, important focus on on flexibility and and be very uh, responsive to different demands, and that makes the job very interesting. Uh, you're right. It is absolutely not what I had in mind uh, when, even when I uh, when I've been elected uh, three months and a half uh, uh, ago. But uh, I think that uh, this uh, makes the job very interesting because it changes every day. Well, I dare say, it, it, you're um, perhaps you're modest to say interesting. It uh, maybe another word would be daunting or scary. This is. <laughs> This is life and death stuff, and you are now on the front lines of this. People's lives are at stake, um, which is, you know, again, pro- probably more than anybody would bargain for in terms of being a mayor of 40,000 people. You wouldn't think that you're going to be thrust into this moment that um, yeah. where people are, you know, literally dying. Do, do you ever, um, has there been a moment in, in recent weeks or months that uh, where you felt overwhelmed by this, where you feel like this is really scary stuff? Stuff? No, actually, I, I remember that uh, the, uh, it was, I think, the second or the third uh, day of my of my mandate. I I, I just 
during one moment i i asked myself what should i do I, i don't know i'm a bit lost but Uh, a few seconds later, I told to myself, I cannot uh, ask this kind of question. I'm here, I have to do the, the, the job, and there is no question to have, so no uh, interrogation to, to have in, in mind. We have, to, we have to go forward and we have to, uh, we have to do the job. So uh, I'm not authorizing myself to be scared of something. That's my, my philosophy of how to, how to do this job. I mean, you also... You grew up in this town. Like you, you, I'm imagining you know people. You probably know people personally who are sick right now. They're pro- probably people you've known for years. Yes. And that yes. must be quite emotional too. Yes, but, but we have to, you know, to, to be very human. So we have uh, human feelings, but we have to, um, to do uh, the things that we have to do. So, uh, and, and we have different uh, limitations too because of the budget because of different financial things so it's uh, it's it, it can be a very difficult job to do uh, but we have to uh, we have to put aside uh, the different uh, uh, you know different feelings which may uh, make the things more complicated sure, uh, sure. to to to, yeah. to go on so confuse so, things yeah. um to, to tell let's uh, i'll come back to you being mayor and some of the challenges but t- tell us a bit about your childhood in france i mean the story goes this is going to be the famous story now but that that you <laughs> from what i understand you always wanted to get into politics even as a kid you said you wanted to be jacques chirac who was the yes, exactly. of course the former president <laughs> of france he was prime minister and president of france what why did you have that political ambition in you as a kid I don't really know uh, because when you are four or five years old uh, you know you have some things on you uh, and uh, you, you you cannot explain that so I've always been uh, interested in in politics and uh, as you said as a uh, toddler in, in kindergarten I used to say uh, the job I wanted to Uh, to later have was uh, being uh, Jacques Chirac, the former French president. So, you know, uh, I, I, I was only four years old and I, I cannot explain that. But later, uh, actually in, in high school, I, I was, uh, uh, I had changed my, my plans because I, uh, I, I planned to, to study uh, medicine. Uh, but uh, it was the period of the of the campaign of the president Sarkozy. Yes. And uh, his campaign inspired me uh, to completely... Uh, Change my career plans and, and and to study politics and law uh, instead of uh, of medicine. And I, at that moment, I really uh, started to to became became uh, uh, politically active and be involved in politics. So uh, actually, I had this in in, in me uh, from ever. <laughs> are, are, are your are your parents political? You know, a lot of a lot of Iranian parents in the diaspora, especially as immigrants, shy away, want their kids to shy away from. You know, like stay away from that kind of thing. Uh, what, what did they encourage you, or were they concerned about your interests in politics? Actually, they 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 were uh, they, they, they were very in, in, interested in politics too, and I think that uh, you know I had a lot of politics debates in in, uh, in the living room and 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 everywhere. So it was very interesting to have this uh, this uh, connection to politics with with my parents because, but for example, my sister uh, doesn't like the politics and she's not very interested in politics. So I I, I can not say that. Uh, This explains everything. You know, I think that when you 
when you come uh, in this uh, in this uh, world uh, you have some things on you and 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 this was something that uh, i had uh, on me and i think that uh, i worked on it and and maybe uh, um, maybe uh, for example it, it may change uh, later because we have a lot of plans but i i i think that my interest in politics will never change i think is that your sister is your sister older or younger than you she's uh, younger than me and is she in is she in uh, nuit sur marne no actually she lives uh, abroad and and she is in uh, in fashion uh, in the fashion industry okay. industry she, she uh, did yeah. that coincide with you becoming mayor she was like i'm out of here then i'm leaving if this guy's going to be mayor <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> no i'm sure she did, did, did how does she feel about her brother being mayor her she, older she, brother she is very very proud and she she has very good feelings uh, about that channel. how did you Zartos, how did you identify as a kid i mean obviously you were born in france and so you're French citizen, but I know you used to visit Iran, uh, Shumal, quite regularly. How, how did you culturally see yourself growing up? Actually, um, I cannot uh, say exactly uh, because I, I, I think that uh, uh, everyone is, is a bit different. And uh, the Iranian and Persian culture, uh, heritage and language uh, are very uh, close to my heart and and. and uh, a, a true part and they are a true part of my of my identity so uh, i think that i'm totally french but i think that i have a total uh, uh, link with the with the persian culture and and the persian uh, uh, civilization so uh, i i cannot uh, give to myself a, a very uh, a short definition. Um, i don't know uh, I, i'm not lost at all because i i find a lot of beautiful things in the different cultures and i think that it's uh, it's not very difficult to be uh, iranian french and and uh, and a lot of uh, other things when um, you were a kid or when you were in school or even high school were uh, were the other kids aware that your background is iranian Yes, because actually the, 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 my, my first name and last name are very, very specific. <laughs> They're not traditional <laughs> French names. <laughs> and for, for Iranian people, they actually, when they say my name, they, they know that I'm, I'm Persian. But yes. um, for, for, for French people, it's a bit more difficult, even if the, there is a, 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 very, uh, a very famous uh, uh, German philosopher who writes about Zarathustra. Uh, so uh, actually, the different uh, uh, teachers ask me uh, where, w w what are my backgrounds, and 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 so I I, I give them the the different explanations, and and it was very very simple for me to to explain that. So tell me about this political career. That's the story is you started your political career by creating a citizens association. Uh, tell tell us briefly about that. What was that? Yes, actually, uh, when I was a, a law student, um, I, I told to myself that it was very important to interest uh, young people to to politics, and uh, I I created I've created with the different uh, uh, students and and friends uh, a, a first association, and, and the, the the goal was to interest uh, different uh, young people to politics. And uh, I've um, worked a lot uh, in my in my city too, uh, in order to to make different uh, things, in order to to make politic uh, uh, to make real uh, different politic things uh, that we we can uh, uh, say. And and uh, you know, politic concepts uh, of uh, equality or uh, solidarity and and different things uh, that 
you, you can make them uh, real uh, and not just words. Yes. And uh, actually, we have, uh, and then I, I run uh, for mayor uh, within my city of Neisherman in 2014. So at age of uh, uh, 23. But at that moment, it was absolutely impossible to, uh, to, to beat the well-established uh, mayor uh, who, who had been uh, uh, continually uh, elected by the people since uh, 1977. Uh, but well, t- t- tell, me, tell me something. Why, for, I'm always curious when people are, are so avid about running for office. If, if I can ask you, I mean, philosophically, if not ideologically, why, why did you believe, even at the age of 23, when you first ran in 2014, that you could be more effective in municipal office, in other words, running to become mayor and becoming a mayor, rather than, say, trying to create change as an activist or lobbyist or someone who's involved outside of political institutions? Because I think that in France, um, the role of uh, of politics is very important. uh, And I know and I hear everywhere uh, people say uh, politics have no power and, and the lobbyists or different, uh, you know, in France, uh, lobbyists are, are, are not uh, as present as, as in, in your countries, in uh. Canada or in the United States. In France, uh, politics are, are more uh, involved than lobbyists are, are, are not very, you know, they have not a very good image uh, for, uh, for, the, for the people. But I, I think that we can do a lot of things uh, in politics. And it won't be true to say politics have no power. Uh, politics cannot do anything. They cannot change things. I think that, and I see when I am here uh, from, uh, uh, since, uh, since uh, June uh, 2020, uh, actually when you are uh, here uh, sitting in this chair and, and uh, uh, leading this, this city, you can do uh, a lot of things. Uh, you can decide because, uh, you know, every every day I, I make uh, more than 100 of decisions here uh, for, for the city. Right. Uh, you know, it can be for the... Uh, for, for, for different events, but it can be uh, security matters, it can be uh, for, uh, you know, for, for feeding people, etc., etc. So uh, say that, saying that uh, it, it, you cannot do anything won't be true. And in, in 2014, actually, I think that uh, I was not uh, totally uh, mature for, for this function, and I'm very happy to have been elected now and, and yeah. not in 2014. Now that you're so old, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, it, <laughs> it, 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 you know, I have six more years and six more years sure, of maturity, sure, sure. and I have been, uh, you know, I, I'm lawyer uh, from 2000 uh, uh, since uh, 2014. So I think that I've learned a lot of things. I have, you know, every people have a lot of things to learn uh, during all the life, but uh, all life long. But I, I think that now it was a good moment. Maybe in six years it would be. Uh, better, <laughs> even better, but uh, but that, Zatosh, that's Zatosh, the, Zatosh, the story, yeah, yeah. the story of yeah. your recent election victory, is all the more remarkable, is all the more impressive. When we find out, see, I had heard about you becoming the mayor. 
I didn't know that you unseated a mayor who was there for, for 43 years. Um, this is, I mean, because we know at a municipal level, I'm sure even in France, uh, all over the world, it, it, the, 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 the politics benefit the incumbent, right? Because yes. they, they run the bureaucracy, everybody knows them. It's very hard to unseat a mayor at the best of times, let alone a guy who's been there for four decades. Um, let me take this one step at a time. Did you encounter resistance because of your youth, first of all? I mean, I'm sure somebody yes. would make the argument, uh, okay, that's very nice, maybe even patronizingly, like nice, nice boy, but you know, how, how do you expect that you're going to come in and become mayor and unseat this guy? Yeah, absolutely. A, lo- a lot of people uh, say that to me, uh, you know, you are too young and you, uh, but, but, but uh, I think that people wanted uh, uh, change and uh, people actually, uh, a lot of them uh, knew me because um uh, during the six uh, past years, I have been uh, very active, and I was, uh, you know, uh, elected uh, within the, the city council, the, um, and uh, and I I, I was uh, physically present on on different events, and I think that I've uh, created a, a certain uh, link, and and you know, we we have uh, um, made a lot of things too uh, for for people, so. They knew me, but even if they so 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 the former mayor was well known by by people, but people wanted change, and 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 that's why they elected me as as mayor. I think that they it was a very uh, good thing, and I think that I'm really really proud not of me, but proud of these people yes. uh, who who uh, uh, were able to trust me and to to trust this uh, the reality of the change. Uh, uh, well, well you, you you weren't just young, or you aren't just young. You're also um, a second generation immigrant. You're Iranian, yes. and and I, I want to be. I want you to be rook about this. You know, to be honest about this, because we we recently had. Um, uh, Iranian-French tennis star Aravana Rezaei on the program. I don't know if you know her. She's in Saint-Étienne, but she, but but you know, she she's one of the best tennis players in the world. Even though she was yeah. born in France and grew exactly. up in France and is a French national, she said that she's had to deal with some racism for being Iranian and brown, as she called it, when she was a teenage tennis player competing in France. Of course, when she became successful, they liked her more. But did you ever experience any kinds of questions about your background and were your Iranian roots at all an issue when you were running for mayor actually the iranian roots uh, are not very <laughs> bad and and, and uh, i had uh, i never had any any difficulty with with my 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 backgrounds uh, I, I imagine and i know that for different backgrounds uh, uh, it's not the same for example for for people of the uh, north of africa in france i i know that there is a lot yes. of them. But no, I, I never had any any uh, th- this kind of message. I, I know that some people say something because uh, some people of my team uh, told me that uh, different different people say uh, racist uh, had uh, racist uh, uh, comments and, uh, yeah, yeah and different things about about me. But uh, no, uh, n- nobody said me uh, for example that my backgrounds were were was a was a real problem for me no 
Is there much of a Persian community in in Nuisirman? Is there a, no, a, a local local kebabi? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that uh, we we should be uh, less than ten. <laughs> <laughs> so there's right, right, right. So uh, this is very curious to me that, I, as you say yourself, it's quite inspiring about what it says about this relatively small city. You know, we would expect to see an immigrant mayor in a place like Paris or a cosmopolitan place. You know. Sadiq Khan yes. in London. But, you know, we tend to believe, and I'm sure it's a stereotype in many, many cases, but we are tend to believe, we tend to believe that smaller centers or smaller cities are less tolerant. Um, can, can you reflect on that and what you've seen in this uh, small city of yours in France? Actually, uh, my city is very close to Paris, so I think that it's a bit different. I, I think that if you are in, in the you know, very, very far from a, a big city, it may be different. Uh, if people don't know you and, and you, you know, the, the name and the, the color of the skin may, may be a, a bit uh, difficult for you to be elected. But uh, near to Paris and close to Paris, I think the things are, are a bit different because we have uh, a lot of people uh, uh, here, uh, even with the, uh, foreign backgrounds, uh, and, and I, I don't, I don't think that it's it's really it's a very uh, important problem here in 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 the suburb of of Paris. You know, I was going to ask you if, being of Persian background, you think it's possible for you to reach higher levels of political office in France. But I, I'm guessing. I hope so. I I, hope I'm guessing so. you think it, it it is possible. You don't think that would be an issue for you, a yeah. barrier for you. No, I, I don't think so because uh, uh, I, I don't think it would be a problem because I have uh, very, you know, um, I, I'm involved in politics uh, since 2010 and uh, I have met a lot of uh, uh, very uh, well-known politicians here and I have very good connections with them. And, uh, you know, here we have uh, a region uh, which is led by... by uh, a woman uh, who is uh, very, uh, very involved and, and that I, I know her very well. And uh, the economy minister of France, uh, I, I know him too, because I've made a lot of uh, things with, with him. Uh, and I think that uh, they never considered me as, a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a foreigner or a kid of fo fo right. foreigner. And, right. you know, I, I have very good... Uh, uh, links and, and very uh, I made that I did the job and I think that uh, uh, French people can can trust people if you you make the job and that's all uh, that's the only thing uh, which matters I think I hope will your will your office now with the fact that you're the mayor of a town I mean besides your busy schedule will this at all um, hamper your ability to tra travel back and forth to Iran now Oh no, I I don't think so. I don't think so because actually I'm involved in in France and I'm not in the Iranian uh, politics. And I think that uh, uh, people can can uh, can uh, make the difference between the different functions. So I, I don't think so. I don't think it. Would if the Iranian rain. community in France is anything like the Iranian community in Canada or the U.S. or <laughs> there, there's probably people sometimes getting in touch with you, encouraging you to take political positions on what's happening back in Iran. And I'm guessing you yes. you try to avoid getting involved in that. Yes, because for, for, for the moment, you know, I, I'm the mayor of a city and I have to do my job here and, and not be involved in different things uh, 
uh, abroad. So uh, for, for for now, my my only concern is uh, is is for for uh, things that I have to do here. Even if uh, I'm I'm very interested in in uh, uh, what is uh, going on on in in Iran and. Uh, on different things, I, I look at uh, you know at the different media's and I, I hear uh, different uh, uh, things and I you know I have a lot of uh, French and, and Iranian uh, friends uh, and my my parents are, are, are Persian too so so I, I'm I'm very interested in in what is uh, happening in, in Iran uh, but I, I'm not involved in. Uh, in uh, Iranian politics, it is so. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm really, I, I, I've very much enjoyed talking to you, and I, I hope you don't mind me saying, I'm very proud of you for for thank what, you very much what you thank are you. doing. Uh, can I ask you before I let you? For, first of all, where are your parents? Are they in in France? Yes, my parents are in France, and they live in the in the same city. Uh, so the you're the, you're the mayor of your parents now. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not a position Persian parents are used to being in. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so what do they have to say about this? Actually, they, they are very very proud and and they say uh, they say me uh, a lot of things to do and they are um, they are very yes they're very proud and happy and and and, uh, and that's all and they encourage me to to do. Uh, all I can, all I can do, and the best I can do, and they know that I, that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, motivated by the, the, you know, the job, and uh, they send me a lot of positive uh, things and messages, and and they encourage me. So I'm very happy to have them here. Did they vote for you? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> and even my sister. How do you know? You <laughs> mean? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, my, my sister uh, was not here, so I've voted for her <laughs> by, with the procreation. So I, I'm sure of that vote. For my parents, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, uh, it's uh, your dream as a kid uh, was to be Jacques Chirac. Uh, would you like to be president of France one day? We will see you later. <laughs> We will see later. Bakhtiari, it's been a, a, a pleasure. Um, uh, merci Thank que you. Thank you so Thank much for the time. And I, we wish you all the best. We're cheering you on from across the pond. Merci. Thank you very, very much. Good office. Good office. Zatosh Bakhtiari. He's the new Iranian-French mayor of Nuit-sur-Marne, France. Zatosh joined me from Nuit-sur-Marne today. Energizing conversation. Zatosh Bakhtiari still doesn't know if his parents voted for him, and I, I, I don't either. I mean, let's face it. Uh, would, would our parents vote for us? Uh, Captain Reza, uh, the huge Captain Reza, <laughs> the balloon-like, uh, Groovy Shia, and uh, the fabulous Keon. Uh, Mics are back on. Um, how did you? What did you think, uh, Fabius Kian? Not to sound patronizing, but I'm really proud of him. The first Iranian mayor in France, and at age 30, perhaps the youngest. I was smiling throughout the interview. I could feel his energy. It's. I really enjoyed that. That's oh. lovely. <laughs> and Gurvishaya. Yes, I love that part that he said. 
there is some problem, but I'm young. I, <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. young he is for sure. Not only he is 30, only 30 years old, but he looks 15. He does. <laughs> he yeah. looks even younger yeah. than 30. Yeah, he's diminutive. Right? He's yeah. diminutive. That's good. That's going to serve him well. Right. When he's yeah. 60 and, uh, yeah. and has a youthful look about him. It, it's clear to me this guy, you know, you know it's, it's, it's kind of like the... The musician who starts at age five or, you know, uh, I always use this example because I'm Canadian and my reflexively I go to hockey. But Wayne Gretzky was on the ice at the age of two, you know, and then became the greatest hockey player ever. He's been doing this since he was a kid, you know, yeah. and so it's a sense of um, focus and destiny. And yeah. you just know that notwithstanding some God-given event, I don't know, something derailing his life somehow or something, uh, hopefully not, that he's on this trajectory to be, I mean, he could be the, he could be the president of France. I that hope be He'll be the first Iranian president <laughs> of France, crazy. which would I'm be very interesting. for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to, I mean, you know. A long way to go. At but that yes. point, we'll have to assess his politics. At yeah. this point, we just go, <laughs> yeah. we love he's you. Good. Go ahead. You're the mayor of a town. Yeah. Uh, all right. The gang has convened. Uh, it is time to get to the letters. Here we go. All right. So this week on episode 54, we had a feature interview with composer, producer, and pianist Reza Rohani. Um, so on Instagram, we have Neda Rohani. Wait a Wait minute. A minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Is she related? She can't be. She didn't say it, but... She says, an exception. Great work, brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. I, I should look into this, but it doesn't sound like she's related. So she says, an exceptional interview showing both the professional side as well as Reza's unique sense of humor. Nice. Beautiful. And then we have Patisa Gava on Instagram wrote, one of the best and most inspiring interviews of all time. Wow. wow. All right. Those are big words. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Pa- Pa-risa. Pa-risa, what was the last <laughs> G-A-V-A. I think there's something wrong there, buddy. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 I really don't know, but it's okay. weird to say Gavo. When Go you not Gavo. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, what a, but poor Patty Saw. Okay. Thank you for that Thank very you. kind that comment. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Beautiful name as well. <laughs> and and uh, feel free to send us your actual pronunciation because honestly, this is based we on butchered, the I butchered yeah. it. Let's yeah, face right, it. All right. all right. So next up, we have Bita and no last name listed. Thank God because I'd probably butcher that as well. She says, well done, Gian and Rook team. Very interesting interview. Hearing the happy voice of Reza Rohani talking about harmony, not melody, reminded me of this quote from Albert Camus. He says, Camus. Camus. Oh, pardon me. Again, with the pronunciation. A famous philosopher. <laughs> that I didn't know that how to pronounce. That most people have heard of. I've never heard of. It's okay. Yeah, it's all Okay, right. he quotes. <laughs> but what it... Albert Gaffa <laughs> Camus <laughs> is so powerful. Albert Camel. Boy. <laughs> oh, he says, yes, oh Camus my. said, yes, yeah, yeah. Did you know the pronunciation, Reza? <laughs> this one I did. Oh, I mean, my this, God. Trust me, I probably wouldn't, but this one I did. Okay, okay. Albert Camus, his yeah. quote is, but what is happiness except the simple harmony between a man and the life he leads. Mm. Ah, 
Beautiful. Again, this is a thank you for that letter, uh, Bita, and and this is uh, interesting. Again, in the context of the uh, the piece that uh, Negin uh, Dusti Alavi has written for uh, on our blog at uh, rookmedia.com about this interview and how she, because uh, Bita says you know, hearing this uh, happy voice of Reza Rohani, how uh, Negin's take was there's there was some sadness there for Negin about this talented person having to leave Iran, having to leave his homeland in order to pursue the music that he wants to play. So that's at rookmedia.com. Just another promo for our Rook Reads. Sorry, Keon. No, no. Keep going. And then moving on, we have general letters from no specific episode in particular. On YouTube, we have username, no name listed, Raven Gatchaw. I can't screw that up. That's how it's spelled. Uh, he or she says, Hey, Gion, what an amazing production. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Raven. Or Raven. Raven, ah, perhaps. <laughs> and then we have Meh. Dodd Sadri wrote, You and your team, Gian, are wonderful. Every day better than the day before. Oh. Just keep it up. Very kind. Beautiful. Yeah. And then on Instagram, we have Sam Sodef wrote, Glad to hear your new program here again. You and your genius talent was missing in the world for a while. Wow. Okay. These are, you don't usually read the nice ones. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Keon. This yeah, what's what's going nice. on today? You're reading beautiful. all the nice ones. I know. It's right. a good Thank read. You. Yeah. Thank you. Those are all my letters of the day. Thank you. <laughs> I give you a letter of the day, all of you. All right. And then, uh, so last week on episode 53, we had a feature interview with Jane Lewison, director of the Gulha Project. She spoke about her multi-year mission to preserve Persian culture, music, poetry, and art from the 20th century. So a few people wrote into that specific episode. We have a Sepeh Samavi. He emailed us, and in the subject line, he put on Iranianness. He wrote, Dear Jian and Rook team, thank you for your hard work. I think it is especially important, even necessary, for the diaspora to actively try to understand what it means to be Iranian because we do not have the luxury of being immersed in Iranian society. This lack of immersion makes it difficult to gain an intuition. By inviting such a diversity of guests, especially guests immersed in Iranian society, listening to Rook is a great step towards an intuitive understanding. Hmm. Best of luck on the show. I hope to hear more amazing interviews. Okay. Beautiful Thank letter. Thank you, well, That's not letter of the day. I, I almost wanted to make it one because it was quite profound. But uh, moving on, we have on... Better be a friggin' good letter of the <laughs> I, day. Well, after, I know. Oh, God. The dismissing all of these excellent letters. <laughs> Uh, it's a tough job, okay? <laughs> Picking the letter of the I know, day. It's not easy. All right. Is, that, is any more words from Albert Camus? <laughs> Albert Camel, you mean? <laughs> All right. On YouTube. Uh, so last week, uh, during that same uh, episode, we had this discussion on funny translations of certain words from English to Persian. For example, sponge translates to scotch. Es scotch. Es scotch, yeah, pardon yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, so, uh, which is the brand name. They, they, it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we have a user named Par. Papar Adab. That's, you know, that's how it is. I don't know if that's a name or a username. Anyway, I'm looking at Shai. is like, is that a name? It's beautiful. Papar. It is, yeah. It's very nice. All right. So he or she wrote, Gian, thank you so much for the program and a million thanks to Jane Lewison. As for the correct translation of sponge, the Farsi word is isfange, meaning something soft. The word scotch is related to a harsh cleaning object, which is used when a sponge cannot remove the same. Oh. Scotch Brite was the first brand of the harsh cleaning object introduced to the Iranian market. 
Wait a minute. So was uh, so Ponce, the artist, and producer Susan were wrong when they said that Sponge was a Scotch. I think, uh, I, think I believe this one actually. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, a Scotch is more hard and for tough mm. surfaces, but a Sponge is like the yeah. Okay. yeah. Little history lesson there. I enjoyed that. <laughs> is but producer Susan uh, out there? Yeah, she okay, is. Yeah. Susan. We need an expert Producer in this. Susan, no, no, she's not. Oh no, we can't get our expert opinion. <laughs> I'm yelling. All right, if we can't have that, I guess we have to go to the letter of the day. Oh. All right, just to give some background on this, so uh, Shoja wrote to us, and he helped crack the case of the mystery behind the popular Canada Dry Orange Drink in Iran <laughs> that we discussed during that same episode. All right, so, so I think it was you, Jean. You were talking about. I was how talking about being a five-year-old when we went to Iran. <laughs> in the mid 70s and and I'm this little kid and they would take us to the the cabaret the cabaret I guess at, at night and I couldn't order alcohol or whatever so they said would you like Pepsi or Canada Dry and get, so I knew Canada Dry as this orange fizzy orange drink that's and that's all I knew about Canada before we moved to Canada that there was going to be lots of fizzy orange drink only to my shock <laughs> and awe and surprise that Canada Dry uh, here in North America is more is like a ginger ale. It's like a clear looking. Yeah. Um, so actually, I should say we have received a, I've received a schooling from a bunch of people that not only was Canada Dry, it was a thing. I didn't imagine it yeah. in Iran, but it was. Uh, and and a few people have echoed what you guys said that there was. Uh, they gave you the option of siah or not a g. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. do you want black or do you want orange? That's those. Are, basically Coke or Pepsi or, or what they would call Canada Dry. But then we got this letter, so go ahead. Yeah, I didn't so know you were going to make a letter of the so day. So he cracked the yeah, code, all right, uh, all right. like solve the mystery. So Shoja Edin Zianyan wrote to us on YouTube saying, first off, congrats to Jian and the Rook team for the launching and running of the Rook program I just discovered. I'm a bit older than all of you, just a little bit with a wink face. So I've got some added info in response to your question about Canada Dry in Iran. The drink Canada Dry didn't come only with the orange drink you were talking about. Uh It came in many colors and (laughs) tastes, perhaps as many as seven, if I'm not (laughs) exaggerating. For sure, there were many. There was one with no color, like a Sprite. Another one milky, if I correctly remember. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The one I liked the most as a kid was brownish and tasted like chocolate. Ew. (laughs) He says, well, after a while, the orange one in color and taste became overwhelmingly more popular, probably fitting best in the Iranian climate and culture and gradually kicked the others out. Ah. Interesting. So the orange one in in Canada Dry Survivor. (laughs) Yeah, in Iran. An orange one in Iran. He made it. Uh, That's fascinating. A milky (laughs) version and a chocolate version. Chocolate version. Shoja, what was his name? This was Shoja Edin Zianyan. All right. Thank you. Shoja Edin Zianian. Thank you, Shoja Reza. Uh, Shaya, yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Shoja. Thank you, the fabulous Keon. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Captain Reza and Groovy Shaya. Well, imagine getting up early, getting outside in the sunshine and fresh air, and hopping on your high-powered motorbike. 
Wind in your hair, zooming along on the road, feeling like you're going faster than you've ever gone anywhere. Oxytocin, dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, add a bit of adrenaline, and it's like a happy cocktail for your brain, right? At least I'm told. Well, my next guest today is the first Harley Davidson female head road captain in the world and a popular Instagram presence as one of the best known female riders in the world. She is also the first Iranian female biker who has ridden 805 kilometers in 12 hours nonstop and 1700 kilometers in 19 hours nonstop. Shima Mehri is an Iranian-Danish professional biker, TV presenter, model, translator, and mathematics teacher. Shima was born in Tehran. She moved to Dubai at the age of 28, right after she got her motorcycle riding license and bought her first bike, which, by the way, was a Harley-Davidson Sportster 803. In 2012, she became the first woman in the Gulf Cooperation Council, the GCC, who did the 805-kilometer 12-hours nonstop challenge. In 2014, she got the title of road captain and became the first woman in the GCC to receive that title. And by By May 2016, Shima became the first woman in the world to be a head road captain. Shima Mehri moved to Denmark in 2017, where today she is thinking about a 200-day ride around the world. But first, right now, Shima Mehri joins me from North Jutland, Denmark today. Hello. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Actually, those things that you just said, it's right now, I feel that right now I need to jump on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> just hearing about your accomplishments makes you want to get on your bike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it is such a pleasure to talk to you. You are very interesting. I mean, Shima, let me start here. On, in your latest post on Instagram, this is from a couple of weeks ago or so, you post a pic of your excellent biker boots and you write, yes, I'm crazy. Normal is boring for me. That's, that's yeah, exactly. it's, it's quite a statement. Tell, tell, tell me about it. Oh, actually, uh, somehow I'm... Uh People around me, they, they usually they said that, oh, you are so weird. How you are, you, you should have a very interesting life. And yes, that's true because I hate to, you know, sit aside just reading a book and just wait to uh, become old. I hate it. So uh, since the time that I remember, I, my life was always full of adventure and just going all around and do crazy things. And yeah, that's my life. <laughs> the only part about it that I don't like about that statement is the part about reading a book. I like reading books, but I, I, I it's not just because I want to get old and die. I mean, I enjoy books, but, <laughs> but, um, but you clearly, okay, so you're happy to embrace this craziness. And this is, I'm guessing, the way you've been since you were a kid, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I was a first child and, you know, my parents even they couldn't control me because they knew that if they put me somewhere just for one minute i'm gonna to do something crazy <laughs> so, so right now especially that i feel really pity for them because you know it's it was so hard for them to control me and make me calm down and not doing crazy stuff so 
stuff. That's my life. Well, listen, I, I want to hear the whole story about how an Iranian girl from a Muslim family who grew up in Iran ends up in Denmark as one of the world's best-known female bikers. But let me let me ask you some questions uh, about riding first, because I was I was trying to think about. What happens to bikers in a pandemic? On the one hand, it's scary times for everyone, including you guys, obviously, in Europe with this uh, COVID-19. On the other, you probably can't catch COVID driving a motorcycle at 100 kilometers an hour on an open road. So has the pandemic affected your riding? Honestly, nothing. Because, you know, we are out in the fresh air, so... We can ride all around, and especially here in Denmark, because we didn't have uh, that strict uh, lockdown. So it was so easy for me. But uh, being out with the guys, going to the bar and sitting in uh, closed uh, places. So, you know, that part, we just omit that part. So we can, we're still riding here. And I'm sure that the other uh, bikers as well, they are still... Uh, riding and fortunately COVID-19 couldn't uh, affect on us. It can't catch up with you. Yeah. On the road. It's too it don't you're, let too, it. you're too fast. It don't let yeah. It yeah. Do so. <laughs> what is the what is the schedule of a Harley Davidson rider? I mean, how often are you out there? Uh actually, uh officially we have two uh rides per week uh and one of them is early in the morning. Uh, most of the uh, groups all around the world they have so so they have such a rides which one of them is early morning and weekends and the other one is in the evening time actually and but you know most i guess that most of the bikers like me they are going all around with their bikes and yeah so i can i can say that uh, we don't have that limit to say that, oh, right now it's not riding time. For us, every single moment is a riding time. I can see why you've become head captain. I can hear the, <laughs> the, the passion in your voice. still. So for someone who is new to this, you mm-hmm. know, there are people listening to us right now all around the world. Many of them are Iranians and many of them, some of them might be like my mother going, oh, worried about you. How would you sell this to someone who's, I mean, someone who's never even been on a motorcycle before? What is the sensation for you? I really encourage them. I encourage everyone, you know, if you want to uh, enjoy your life, if you want to uh, feel really free, uh, that you are free, that nothing can stop you, if you are looking for uh, a true happiness, if you are looking to feel the nature, just start riding your motorcycle. Uh, when you say that, okay, there it's something that I always I hear about it. Yeah. Every single, you know, anytime that uh, I meet a new person, they will say the first thing. They don't say that, wow, you are a biker. They will say, oh, don't you be afraid <laughs> of accident and these stuff. Say, Come on, stop it. At the end, all of us, we are going to die. But the most important thing is that we enjoy our lives. You know, and, you know, some uh, some people, they like to go to the beach. Some people, they like to go to the forest, to the mountain, to, you know, to be a part of nature. But 
uh, I really I guarantee that for you that if you ride a motorcycle and motorcycle, you can feel the wind, you can smell everything, you can smell the sand, you can be a part of the earth and, you know, and go and uh, the opposition of all the forces. And that's the most amazing things in the world. So this is, uh, you sold me. I feel like I want to end this interview and go out and get a motorcycle right now. Well, <laughs> why are we talking? <laughs> Enough talking. I'm going to stop reading books and getting old. I got to get a motorcycle. Uh, this is not your, your day job, right? Uh, this is what you're known for. But what do you do when you're not biking? Teaching mathematics. Ah, you are a mathematics <laughs> teacher. No, actually, you know, when I'm looking for the adventure, even if, and, you know, let me tell you the story like this. When I was a small kid, if anyone would ask me that, okay, uh, what, what does your father do? I would say that, okay, I don't know. I don't know if he's a engineer, if he's a carpenter, if he's, I don't know. Because, you know, he, he was doing a lot of things all together. And, you know, I raised like that. So uh, I, I teach mathematics, and especially in the pandemic, I started to teach free to all the children who can speak in English all around the world. And also I have my own company, which is Career Service and Cargo, and also trade. <laughs> See? That's great. When you ask me that, okay, what do you do in your free time? What do you do as a job? Even though that's right. not just a right. single right. thing. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew it would be an interesting answer, and I got one. Listen, I have a friend who is a, who's a biker, and mm-hmm. um, he has told me at length. He's actually a childhood friend of mine, and he later in life discovered motorcycles. And, and he, he has told me at length about the, the sisterhood, the brotherhood that exists amongst bikers. That you, he talks about the fact that you can arrive in a brand new town, like uh, that you've never been to, and immediately find a friend if you see them on a Harley or you know. Has that been part of the appeal for you? This sense of community. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, right now I'm gonna to cry. Let me tell you something. Uh, I heard about it a lot before that I started riding my motorcycle. Okay. Uh, I, when I entered to my group and I started riding my motorcycle, uh, I had a lot of friends before, but you know, as soon as they found out that I'm riding motorcycle, they all disappeared. Mm. Okay. And, but instead I found a lot of friends who are truly, truly like my brothers and sisters. You know, at the time, especially, you know, the time that I was in hospital after my accident, uh, I was so sad because my motorcycle was totally gone. And I was in hospital, I was thinking to get a new bike. And, you know, uh, I, I could afford it, but when we say that that's a sisterhood and brotherhood is that, you know, they started to gather money to help me oh. and to encourage me to get a new bike, you know, 
And you know, it's not just for me, even though for my other friends. And you know, right now, that if I call my uh, my biker friends who are in Dubai and just I ask them something, you know, hundred percent that I'm sure that they support me. Wow. I'm sure that even though if maybe I ask my own brother to do such a things for me, he wouldn't do that. That uh, that is that is beautiful. By the, by the way, the the accident you're referring to is the one you had in 2016, and yeah. you were in Dubai, and we'll get to that. But this um, that sense of community is hard to find. I mean that that is it's it is amazing that you have that. Bikers are also Shima, as you know, of course, historically linked with counterculture. Uh, at the very least, there's this image of the the Harley Davidson rider who's a rebel who forsakes the urban environment for the open road and a self, sense of ultimate freedom. It, is the notion of being a rebel an unfair stereotype, or would you say that this is the way most Harley Davidson riders you know are, and and I suppose that you are in fact a rebel? Mm. it's so hard to answer that actually uh it depends that uh from which point of view you know i thought as a stereotype i felt that that some people they are looking at me in a different uh, point of view they especially as a female some part of society they cannot accept it Okay, but I found out that if I just uh, don't listen to them, if I just go for what that I believe in, then everything would disappear. <sighs> just me, my bike and road. And that's it. If you don't mind, I, I wanted to add one thing to our to your previous question that you asked. Sure. That uh, within the bikers, especially the Harley Davidson bikers, we have a quote that we says that uh, that's not blood that make us family. That's loyalty. Hmm. You know, I and this loyalty is something that you cannot find it somewhere else. Even though I cannot explain it, they are with you everywhere. They support you. It doesn't matter that what. Just especially if they, you know, uh, if especially if they find find out that you are in trouble, they are there for you. It. it uh, by, and by the way, can uh, can anyone join the club? I mean, if you get a, a Harley Davidson, is there a test, <laughs> or, is, or is anyone, you know, okay. do you have to be cool? I don't know. Do you like? Do they say, sorry, no, you're you not cool enough. I, I mean, okay. I, don't, I don't know if you guys will let me in if I get a motorbike. They would be like, yeah, no, nah, you're sure. not cool enough. You're not tough enough. I don't know. It's no, I, you know what? Um, we have uh, all around the world all. I'm talking about the Harley Davidson bikers. Uh, we have a general club all around the world that they call it Hawk uh, and Harley Owner Group. And that's the group that very easily, as soon as you get a motorcycle, you can uh, join. But when we, uh, we talk about the MCs, MCs has more uh, rules to absorb people. So 
that's why that's, it depends that if you want to join a hawk, so that's so easily and you are most welcome. But if you want to join MCs, then you need to, someone need to recommend you to that MCs because, you know, that's like a very close group. So it depends. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I'll be. I'd be happy to let be led into the hogs. Um, <laughs> it, it, I'm going to ask you a question that I think I know the answer to, but I just want to hear you spell it out. I, I'm guessing that riding is more about the journey than the destination. It's not about necessarily getting somewhere. It's about the journey that you're taking. I wonder if what what is happening in your mind when you're on that journey is it meditative almost somehow which would seem like a a strange thing to say to somebody who's going 100 kilometers an hour and 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 with a loud noise and and zooming down the street but but the way you talk about it almost sounds like it's a form of meditation if you take a look at that uh, your bike is a part of your body okay it's like that uh you and your bike becomes united, okay? And then with this situation, even though then when you are riding, you don't even think about your riding that, okay, right now I should accelerate, right now I should brake. Your body, your mind is doing it automatically. Even though when you want to turn, okay, just you need to think about it. And, you know, at the, when you start riding your motorcycle and maybe your instructor tell you that, okay, just uh, think about it and your bike will follow you. M most of the people, they laugh and they say, oh, that's impossible. But mm. honestly, it's possible because your body and your bike at the same time being united and you are it's just you yeah. the wind the speed the road and your body you know what i love about this it's almost like an instrument like um uh, a few months ago we had a, a classical pianist she's a great uh, uh pianist an iranian canadian uh, pianist named sana sotudeh and she spoke mm -hmm. about the piano almost being part of her her she feels like her her fingers on the keys and when she's in the zone it's almost she's one with the piano uh, i love this description it's it's uh, that you're one with the motorcycle while you're doing this it's part of you yeah exactly let's let's hear the story Shimajan, of, of how this all happened for you you were you're, you're growing up in iran in what sounds like a a moderately conservative muslim family in the 1980s as a kid what what first got you into the idea of wanting to ride motorcycles um i i uh, i guess that i was around age 10 that i traveled with my dad to austria and it was the first time that I saw a huge gr a group of uh, female bikers that, you know, it, it, when I'm explaining to anyone, it, it's exactly like the slow motion for me. So I want <laughs> you to imagine that, Okay. you know, I, I was a standing uh, a side of the street and I heard a loud noise and then they came they passed through my eyes and then they stopped all of them they had helmets so when they removed their helmets it's exactly like the slow motion for me that all <laughs> their hairs fell down they were goddesses and, you know, goddesses for I, you I, I felt that i'm really in the movie 
you know? And I said, Dad, I want to become a biker. <laughs> and my dad was said, okay, when you grow up, then we can make a decision about it. I said, no, I want to be a biker. I said, okay, we will talk about it. And, you know, the time passed and this idea that one day I should ride a motorcycle was with me. And by the way, I need to talk about my mom because uh, I have two little brother and uh, always, he, you know, you know, Iranian mom, how they are. And sure. he, he used to tell to my brothers that, look, Shiramo halaletun nemikonam. اگر روزی ببینم سوار موتور بشید یا اینکه سیگار بکشید. Right, so, uh, so uh, I draw the line at motorcycles and cigarettes. That's not a, you're not allowed. Yeah. Exactly. And now my brothers they followed her, <laughs> but definitely I couldn't. And you know, the time that I moved to Dubai, I knew that if I told my mom that mom, I'm gonna to get my license, she would definitely be angry. Uh -huh. And so I waited. So I waited, I got my motorcycle. And exactly the same day I got my, uh, my license. And then exactly the same day I got my motorcycle. So in, I in, Dubai? Mom, in Dubai, right? Yeah, in yeah, Dubai. Yeah, yeah. And I called my mom and I said that, mom, I got my license. I said, what license? I said that my motorcycle license. I said, okay, wait, that's enough. Okay, you, you did it. Okay, that's perfect. Congratulations, that's enough. Now stop. <laughs> yeah, stop and don't continue. So that, mom, I have another news. So what? said mom i got my motorcycle I said, what what did you do please don't do that I said mom it's done so it's done i already i got it she didn't say anything uh, after my first record i when i had a lot of interview and i sent her and she sent me a picture from her the time that she was uh, around 18 and she was on a motorcycle. What? That's amazing. And you know, I said, Mom, please, why you didn't tell me? And she said that, you know, I knew that it's so dangerous. And I really, I loved to become a biker. But oh, it wow. was my dream. I couldn't follow it. But any the time that you called me and you said that you got your motorcycle inside me, I really, I I was proud of you. Wow. I said that seriously, you killed me all this time and I couldn't just enjoy as much as I want because in in just a, a part of my brain, I was thinking that, oh, you didn't like it? He said, no, I'm really proud of you. And, oh, yeah. That must have been a beautiful moment for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about your dad? I mean, look, there's a couple of ways in which you've departed from, I, I, I suppose, what, your parents would have expected of you growing up one is the motorcycle riding the other is becoming a christian and i want to ask you about that in a bit but but what what did you what was your father's reaction when he first i mean it was all fun and games when you're in austria and you say dad i want to do that and he goes okay Azizan, don't worry yeah one day you know let's go back you know uh, but what, what about when he first realized you were serious about becoming a, a biker you know my um 
my dad w- could accept it because you know uh, you know that's usually they think much more logic than mothers so he knew that right now even every day that i'm talking with him he says that okay what did you do what's new that dad nothing and he, he knows that deeply inside that okay shima can't just sit aside and not yes. <laughs> doing nothing you know yeah. so it was so clear for him even i guess at the time that i told him that i want to become a biker he knew that one day i'm doing and when you broke the records and became the head captain all that, he's probably uh proud of you as well right and not not for my third record that i wanted to but the rest yes (laughs) (laughs) let's get to that listen you you've done an an admirable job of messing with gender stereotypes too especially as an iranian you you know i was wondering i was thinking about you and thinking i wonder if that was part of the attraction for you like that that motorcycling has traditionally obviously been viewed as a as a male endeavor, uh, and particularly coming from a patriarchal society like Iran, when you started to ride, was it because partly as a woman you felt a sense of freedom and empowerment? Uh, I've never think that uh, there is any difference between women and men, okay? Never, ever, Hmm. okay? And... I always I said that to everyone who asked me that, look, I'm so happy that I'm a woman and I'm really proud of this, that as a woman, I could do some things impossible, not impossible for me, but impossible in point of view of society. Yes. And that's the point that it can encourage the other woman as well, you know, and also men as well. Because, you know, for example, maybe there is a guy who would love to dance, okay? But what do the other people, they say? We have this, unfortunately, this is the culture of East that What are people going to think? Expectations, stereotypes, uh, generalizations. But part of the magic of this to me is, uh, and I don't even know if this is something you can answer, but you were a girl growing up in a country um, where an Islamic regime is in power, where even riding bicycles is basically uh-huh. illegal for women. I know I know there's women who do ride bicycles there, but it can be problematic. It's not the cultural norm, certainly, for women to become bikers. Uh, they weren't examples around you down the street of all kinds of people doing that. So for you to be able to even dream that this is what you were going to do, that you're going to become a professional biker, is quite extraordinary. Tell me how you were able to do that. Look, you are saying dream. Okay, when you know when you when you have a dream, okay, it, it would remain as a dream until that you step forward through that. Okay, otherwise, it's it's impossible that that dream becomes true. Not just riding a motorcycle, not a, anything. Okay, so, and you know, especially you you talked about Iran. Okay, let me tell you, there is a girl, there is a biker 
uh, I don't know if you know her or no, uh, Shahzad Naraki. Okay, she is no. a biker in Iran, and she is. I'm really proud of her because she is in Iran and she is trying to encourage the other women also to step forward to get this right to have a, a motorcycle license and training and you know this is so beautiful and let me and there is one other thing that i really need to emphasize on that you know the most amazing things about all these stories not mine even though the other women who did some impossible things even though with that regime is that because they were in a limited position because the other thing they thought that okay they cannot do anything we can control women this i guess that this empowered them it gave them that a lot of power to stand up to you know even though right now there are a lot of girls in iran in tehran that they are riding motorcycle you know it's amazing that's beautiful and you know i'm also a part of the, i was a part of that society and nothing could stop me and even right now well that it is empowering when you when you talk about uh, um women doing that in Iran, uh, particularly given the, the current government, the current regime in, in power and, and some of the expectations. Why, why did you decide to move to Dubai? Why not stay in Iran and try and ride a motor, motorcycle then? Actually, going to Dubai was a part of my adventure, actually, because I, I just wanted to uh, move forward. And, uh, you know, I had some problems in Iran. And so... That's the reason that because, you know, I was Christian that you mentioned, even though some, some of that part was some of revealing. And I was like, you know, like the other Iranians, we were looking for freedom. Yes. We were looking for a better life. So, yeah. Shima, what, what, tell me about the conversion to Christianity. How, how, how young were you when you felt like that's something that was important for you to do? Are you promise me? Are you promise me not to laugh at me? I, I would never <laughs> laugh at you. I mean, uh, <laughs> I laugh at some of your Instagram posts, but uh, but not about, well, not with this question. Okay. Go ahead. You know, uh, I was three at age three that I met Jesus, and uh, let me tell you uh, that uh, I told you at the beginning of our interview that my parents they couldn't control me yes so uh one of my uh friends uh one of my father's friend family actually they uh, they were christian and they started to taking care of me the time that my parents they are at work so i was with them and i always i said that the things that uh connect me to jesus is my birthday okay i i born on first of january yes. so you could imagine that in christmas before my birthday there were christmas tree and everything was they should be prepared and all you know all these uh, dingy tingy and you so thought that I, was for you yeah exactly i thought <laughs> that oh that's for my birthday my birthday is coming 
So, uh, by the way, his his birthday is December twenty fifth, not January first, yeah. right? Yeah, no, yeah. but you know. I knew that all these things are coming for my birthday. Right. I see. You know, okay. it, it's a preparation for my birthday. I, I thought so, you know. So, because, you know. Jesus had his birthday in preparation yeah. for your birthday. <laughs> exactly. Yes, okay. It's like that, you know, uh, in very old days when they uh, it was just a birthday, you know, all these uh, colorful papers all around the house and yes. everyone started to prepare everything from a week before. So that was the idea. So, so yeah, I asked that, oh, that's my birthday. I said, no, that's Jesus' birthday. So that, oh, I love Jesus because his birthday is almost uh, like my birthday. So I love him. So it just started like this. I've never f- feel that, okay, I'm Muslim or I'm coming from a Muslim family, so I should be a Muslim. So since the first, the first time that I understood a difference between Islam and Christianity was exactly that time. So I've never had this chance to uh, understand uh, Islam. So. I see, yeah. But why, I mean, just just parenthetically, as, as uh, out of interest, because I've, I've, I understand the sentiment of not totally understanding, you know, an organized religion, uh, something like Islam being foisted upon you by your family or your parents, etc. Um, why not just not be religious? Why, why the choice to, to actually choose another religion? That's also one option. Yeah. <laughs> That's one option. You know, the most important thing is humanity. You know, that... Uh, has a um, moral ethic, you know. That's the most important. Yes. That you uh, you fight for the right things. It doesn't matter that if you are Muslim, Christian, uh, Jewish, or anything, even the atheist. Okay. But know that okay, the things. What are the consequences? The things that I'm doing. Is it good? Is it right? Is it wrong? And I guess that that's the most important thing. So we we talked about your parents coming to terms with you being a biker. Um, mm-hmm. Have they made peace with the idea that you're uh, uh, that you're a devotee of Christ, that you're a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Especially because you know, uh, most you know Muslims in Iran, most of them they don't participate in. Islamic uh, practicing, right, you know, right. so it's just only a name. So right. my father always says that, that it's so important that for me that I just, I know that you are doing the right things and don't uh, hurt anyone else and you fight for it. You just know that what is right and wrong, it doesn't matter that in which religion, even though without religion. But just be a good human, and that's it. So, Shima, let, let's talk about you going to Dubai. You become this. Um, you start breaking records as a as the first female um, Harley Davidson biker to do all kinds of things in, in terms of the the length of races and the endurance. 
Um, and, but there are some cautionary tales here. Back to my mother saying, oh, this is where it gets difficult. This is where the, the folks get worried for their daughters or sons getting on the bikes, I guess. In April 2016, and you alluded to this earlier in the interview, uh, you're on one of this, this, this nonstop 2,500-kilometer ride, and you had to stop after 1,000 kilometers. So what happened there? But, you know, um, I, it was almost uh, tr- for that ride, I planned for almost three months. And unfortunately, that day, uh, I knew that a sandstorm is coming. The weather is not good, but I just wanted to do it. You know, and I said, okay, I'm going to for this ride. I'm going to do it. And, okay, maybe if I feel that I'm not okay, I would have stopped. And I started with the rain. I started to going all around, around almost 1,000 kilometers. And the weather suddenly it becomes perfect. It was really good for just a 15 minutes. Sorry, by the way, when you're on a ride like that, are you by yourself or are you, are you in a group? Uh, no, actually, uh, it was me and my husband. My husband was uh, bringing all the equipment in the car. Okay. And we were on, uh, on the radio and uh, together and we were talking to each other and it was totally dark and, you know, the weather became really good and then I was exactly on a roundabout and my husband said that, okay, if you go through the right side and then uh, you would reach faster to the, uh, to the next petrol station. I said, oh, okay, because I, I wasn't following the, the map. So I went through that one and suddenly I, and my speed was, I guess, around uh, 170 or 180 kilometers per hour. And suddenly I heard and I opened my eyes. I opened my eyes. I was on the ground and my husband was crying. Sorry for this sad thing. See, my husband was crying and I said that, okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm fine. And he couldn't hear me. I said, okay, so that's done. I am dead. But, you know, even though at that time I was so happy that, okay, I, I was, you know, I died exactly during the ride. So it was perfect. And <laughs> You have a great I, attitude. <laughs> yeah, all. I said, okay, so okay, yeah. I, I, I did happily. So, again, I call him, I call him, I mean, I'm fine, come and help me to take out my helmet. And... He, he, he couldn't hear me, so I removed my own helmet, then suddenly, because it was totally dark, it was 3 a.m., and he came to me and, you know, he said that, oh, all oh, your face, oh, you are alive, your face, blood, and, you know, he passed out. <laughs> I was okay, but he passed out. He passed out. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah, and then I ended up in the hospital. <laughs> so how, oh, so, so what happened to you? How badly injured were you? Okay, uh, I had two uh, of my, I have fraction on my spine, two, uh, two of my spine, they had a, a fraction that, so uh, they put, right now I'm an iron woman, so they put a 
two platinum on my spine cord and yeah. So I was, and by the way, is Amir okay? Or do you? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. okay. Because he passed out too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he was okay. But I tried to comfort him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You had to take care of him while your spine was broke. So. No, he's so sensitive. So that's why. I was trying to do the math here. I was looking at your accomplishments. Mm -hmm. You, and I knew you got into this accident in, in April, 2016. Mm -hmm. And then you become the first woman head road captain in the world in May 2016. Is that to suggest that you got back on the bike within a month? Exactly. This All is the, the this is the this is the, this is, the, this is what we started with the Instagram quote about you being crazy. This is the crazy part now, right? This is crazy Shima. That's the things that right now I'm gonna to tell you uh it's a bit, you know, it's the most interesting part about this. Okay. I really I love it. Yeah, uh, I, the time I, I was in hospital for two weeks and every single moment I was thinking about my new bike and, you know, all my friends, biker friends, they were with me all these moments, even though at night they were with me, <laughs> they were sleeping in my bed, uh, in my room. And you know, we were talking about and discussing about the exhaust, about the bike, which color it should be and how should we customize it. So all this time it passed like this. Uh, after the surgery, exactly a day after, I asked the doctor, okay, when are you going to release me? He said, okay, just to sleep. As soon as you could walk, I will release you. I said that, okay promise me said okay i promise you and you know uh after i guess after three or four days they started to open all my bondage and they said okay now step by step every day you go one one step just we want to make sure that you don't feel dizzy and these stuff the first day that they let me to walk i guess that i walk around 500 steps I just, I, I was in a pain, you know, and I said that Shima, go ahead, Shima, walk, Shima, walk, just pretend that you can walk. So then the doctor would release you from the hospital. Hmm. And, you know, the doc- my doctor was in shock. That, okay, what's she doing? And then uh, I told him, look, I walked. So now it's the time for, uh, for you to release me from the hospital. And still, I have my picture. Exactly, the, he released me. Uh, it's uh, it was eleven in the morning, you know, and all my friends they were with me, and they they came to take me home. But they said that okay, could you please stop by Harley Davidson shop? I need I need the smell <laughs> of uh, the shop. I need to smell the bike. Wow. And after two weeks, I got my motorcycle. And I guess it was after a month, I started riding again. And I had an appointment with my doctor. I went in and my doctor said, okay, how are you doing? Did you start your physio? I said, yes, doctor. I started, <laughs> uh, I started to ride. He said, oh, it's really good. It's amazing that you started to ride. Are you riding bicycle? I said that. Rock? Seriously? I'm riding Harley. Said that. Are you sure? Said, yeah, look, look at my picture. This is my new bike. It's that. 
what are you doing? I've never seen such a crazy patient. I've never had <laughs> seen such a things in ho my whole life. And yeah. And I started to ride again. By the way, this is a terrible story. I hope young people <laughs> listening do not take away from this. That uh, we're going to be people are going to be writing complaining that their ten year old got into an accident. And they want to get on a motorcycle now within two weeks. Um, wow! So this is, but you don't just get back on the motorbike. You then become, you go on, you go on another marathon race and become the first woman head road captain in the world of Harley yeah. Davidson. C c explain to us very briefly what does it mean to be head road captain. Okay, you know, when you're riding with the groups, let's say that I'm talking, for example, in uh, Harley owner groups, which is general all around the world, uh, we have uh, different types of positions, okay? We have a road marshals that they are, when a large group, they are riding all together, they would take care, they would close all the exits on the highways and they would make sure that all the tribe is going well okay and then we have a road captain who is uh, leading the tribe and we have the head road captain that's road captain and all the road marshals are working almost under his orders and he is the one or she is, let's say, why, why am I saying he? And she is the one, he is the one mm -hmm. that uh, make a decision that which route they need to go and when, uh, how everything should, in which position they should ride and where should we block on the, on the highways or on the roads. And actually all the safety is in the hands of Hedrod Captain. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's an important position. It's that's not just a exactly. distinction, it's an important yeah. position. Um, you know, when you become this head road captain, and I guess the news travels around the world, and a lot of Iranians in the diaspora and back in Iran are proud of you, you don't escape the uh, ever watchful eye of the Iranian regime, from what I understand, because you um, you ended up leaving Dubai after nine years in 2017. You moved okay. to Denmark, where, of course, we're speaking to you today. Uh, and there's a difficult story there. Tell, tell, tell us what happened with um, people coming after you in Dubai. Uh, most of that it became because I was working with Farsi One. I was TV presenter over there. And, you know, at the time, uh, exactly, and uh, November and December 2016, everything gets hard for all the uh tv stations especially in dubai and as you know in turkey as well and so uh they came all around for everyone so uh, they shut down the farsi one and also as i remember they shut down uh gems as well and so most of the group they needed to leave dubai because you know it's not it it wasn't safe over there and as you know uh Emirates and also Iran, they somehow they show that they are not closed, but Iranian government very easily, they could go, uh, you know, go through the people and catch everyone that they wanted. 
So it was the reason that I left Dubai and I moved. Well, why why were they targeting you? Did it have something to do with the fact that you're you're getting some celebrity from being a, 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 a motorbike uh, um, leader, or or was it just because you were a presenter? No, on TV? I, I can't say that. Maybe it's one of the reason, but not the main reason. I guess the main reason was my uh, that I was a TV presenter. I was a Christian. You know, everything. I have everything in my resume. <laughs> Right. He got a lot of problems. Christian and you know, a biker and Right, 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 right. So they so so but this is quite scary. They actually um a car comes after you and hits you while you're on your motorbike. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly on uh on December on on Christmas. On Christmas two thousand sixteen it happened to me. Uh I was with an I was in, uh, with a tribe. We were coming back from the charity on Christmas, and we were standing at the traffic light. And then suddenly, a car hit me from the right side, and then I fell down. And then they ran away. And you know, it wasn't the, you know it wasn't an accident. Yeah, bec- yeah, because the, you know they. Uh, they told me from before that they are gonna to do it. They are gonna to kill me because you know they treated me a lot. I received a lot of uh, letters from them, and you know they called me from whom. The you IH, know, at the beginning IH. they said that they are from the embassy of Iran, and yeah. Oh, that's sad. And why did you choose Denmark? <sighs> it's sad news. I didn't want to come to Denmark. I had my own visa for U.S. and we uh, we said, okay, that's the easiest part that we can go because I was in U.S. before, so I said, okay, we are going to U.S. and I had my own visa. But Mr. Lovely Trump came exactly right <laughs> wow. in yeah. January t- 2017. So I said, okay, that's not the place that because immediately he said that. We don't let Iranian to come here in right. U.S. So then I needed to come to Denmark. My brother was here, and so and that's the place that I could get easily my visa and come here. Well, Denmark's a great place. Although if Trump found out you were a uh, Christian biker, he might he might <laughs> let you in. You know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. So. I, I didn't have this chance to negotiate with <laughs> you him. Didn't, but. <laughs> you, didn't, you couldn't call him. Um, well, I, I'm so sorry that happened to you in Dubai. And, and uh, you haven't had any threats since you've been to Denmark then in the yeah. last three years. So for years, the majority of just getting back to you, what you represent, both symbolically and literally as this um, as one of the best-known female bikers in the world, for, for years, the majority of literature on women who participate in the world of motorcycling has has tended, I'm sure, as you know, Shima, to present this image of either subservience or kind of um, a, a dismissive, demeaning kind of image. So there's expressions like biker chick or bitch seat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that now the number of women bikers in the in the world has grown significantly. Does that language still exist? Is it still prevalent or are things changing? Within the bikers, no. We don't have such a things, but you know, most of these uh, most of these things are coming from the outside of 
our community, okay? The same way that they take a look at, if you say that, okay, I'm a biker, the first thing that society would think about, yeah, oh, it's when you say that, you are saying to the people that I'm a biker, I'm Harley Davidson biker, they say, oh, are you a gangster? Are you a drug dealer? Do you have a gun? You know, that's the mentality that they have. Also, they have exactly the same mentality that, okay, any girls who are riding a motorcycle, they, they wear bikini and they sit on Harley Davidson, you know? But, you know, as a biker, we don't have such a things in a biker community. The same way that we talked about it, the sisterhood and brotherhood, yes. even though they don't let anyone to just look at you in a wrong way. And, you know, it's really clear that definitely you cannot ride a motorcycle with bikini because the engine is so hot. And, you know, and I feel that right a little bit, this uh, mentality is going to change. Shima, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I, I, I really appreciate your um, your spirit, uh, your uh, life outlook, uh, and the story that you've shared with us. You've you've been a, a huge influence on thousands of riders. I can only imagine, especially women. When you receive messages from Iranian girls who are new riders or want to become a rider, whether they're in Iran or outside of Iran in the diaspora or uh, Middle Eastern girls who, who reach out to you on Instagram, what, what do you think is the best piece of advice you can give to them? Just go get your bike and start riding. It doesn't matter that how old are you. It doesn't matter that from what, what kind of culture you are coming, what religion you have. It doesn't matter. Just try to be yourself and enjoy your life. That's the most important thing. Because, you know, especially Iranian women, Eastern women, they say that, okay, right now I'm old. No, for riding a motorcycle, it's not, it's never late. Just start to do it. Then as soon as you start to ride, then you will truly understand what do I mean. The, the sounds of the engine, the, the wind, you know, the road, everything. There is nothing much more amazing than the sunrise down the road while you are riding through it. I know you haven't been back to Iran in 15 years, but I, I'll bet that you would love to ride there one day if it becomes possible. What's that? In Chalus. Oh, wow. Yeah. On the way to Shomal. Yeah. Haraz ro uh, Roadway. I hope so. One day. Shima Mehri, thank you so much for this today. I hope to see you before too long. Uh, I know I won't be able to catch up with you on, uh, unless I'm on a motorcycle, so I'm going to practice. <laughs> and then I'm going to come to Denmark and you, you can be the head captain and I'll, I'll try and keep up. Uh, thank Perfect. you for this. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you so much. Khodafis. Shima Mehri, she's an Iranian Danish professional biker, TV presenter, model, translator, mathematics teacher. In 2016, she became the first Harley Davidson female head road captain in the world. And Shima Mehri joined us from North Jutland, Denmark today. And this is full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much for listening. 
Remember, for all things Rook, you can head to our website, rookmedia.com. Rookmedia.com. Links to all of our social media platforms are there and all of our episodes. Thanks to the amazing team that puts this show together and works so hard on this. Producer Susan Ponta, the artist, the fabulous Keon, Aramir Dodd, English Muhammad, Savvy Roham, Groovy Shia, and Captain Reza. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Remember to be Rook. And of course, as ever, Mizunbashim.